0: Hi everybody, my name's Polly Pistol, and I'm an alcoholic. By God's grace, in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't had a drink since April the 11th of 1977, and for that I am eternally grateful. It is a miracle. And I have a home group and that's the West Connect group in Jacksonville, Florida. We meet on Monday night at eight o'clock and if you're ever in Jacksonville, just give us a call. Dave and I are in the phone book. When you get sober, you can be in the phone book. So just give us a call and we'll take you to a meeting. And I have a sponsor and my sponsor has a sponsor. And uh, today I am a member in good standing in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jimmy. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. Jimmy had, uh, had Bob Darrell and I to a, meet, to a big book, and I've just, I've just loved it. I love the people around here. It's just fabulous. I'm so glad I got to come back again. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I was picked up by Cheryl and Tommy thank you so much and I mean Tommy's a stud you ought to see him drive I mean we're coming out of that airport and he's on the right hand lane and seven lanes over and I mean no we don't have a lot of time it's not you know it's we're going to be right there at that turn. he says oh I think I need to be over there and he just goes and I'm telling you I was just wow I mean come on and that's, I mean, what a hero. It was fabulous. Thank you. And he says, You're not even scared. And I said, Honey, I got a big God. <laughs> and I'm just. So grateful, and I'm just so excited to be here with the people I love. In fact, we were talking, Mary Beth and I were talking at dinner, and it was just talking about Don and Bob and how many years we've been doing this and how many times... Well, Don and I have been doing it. We were just beginning, just starting, and here we were, you know, out, out on the road. Hi, Don. Hi, Polly. <laughs> Not knowing what we're doing. What am I doing here behind this podium? But it's it's been a journey. It's just been a journey, and it's wonderful. Thank you so much. It's just been great. It's just been great to hang out with all the people and to be here and... I'm grateful Sally's going to be staying with me this weekend. I get to share the weekend with her. So it's just, you know, these are the gifts of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then the other thing is the things that we get to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. I sponsor a woman named Michael. Michael sponsors Karen, and Karen sponsors Rose. And those are the things that we get to have, as these lines of sponsorship. And it's just, it's just amazing these, that we get to watch these lives. And all you did is one day you sponsor somebody, and it's just like the book says, especially in the... Well, maybe not so much in the book, but certainly in the language of the heart, where it talks about that you start watching the newcomer, and then you watch him go sponsor somebody and that's the good news it's just it's just beautiful Joe we were kidding on the way coming in and he was saying well we're going to be first he says well you know I'm going to be done he says I'm getting all those pros I don't have to follow any of those pros and I feel the same way you know it's just Nobody wants to be step 12 after, you know, after everybody comes along and says, What am I doing at step 12? After all these people, and it's like so intimidated, you know, so intimidated. I am totally intimidated. You were wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm excited to have step two, because step two is a really big part of my sobriety. And I just feel like, you know, that being able to talk about step two, I don't know that I've ever talked about step two doing one of these Woodstocks. I'm not sure, I might have. But the thing about it is, it's really important to me, step two, that I came to believe in a power greater than myself that would restore me to sanity. And one of the things that happened to me, and I'm gonna do, I'm not gonna talk a lot about my, you know, my how it was, but my, my step one, but I'm gonna try to kinda connect two with one. But what happened is, is I am a person who has had, has been diagnosed and I believe have had and are, Absolutely been relieved from grave emotional and mental disorders. Uh, I am a person who has suffered grave depressions. And I mean grave. I am a person who came to Alcoholics Anonymous behind three suicide attempts. Absolutely could not live in my own skin. I just couldn't do life. Life was just too hard for me. I just couldn't do life. I was a military wife and I'm telling you, I'd go to these, these doctors, and I was married to an Air Force officer, and I can assure you that none of those people on that Air Force base wanted me upsetting that jock. I mean, he had a job to do, and they did not want any hysterical wives hanging around. So they got me good and medicated. I was a pert they gave me Valium and Librium and Seconol and Nimutol and I drank alcohol. And I mean, it was just, I, I mean, I was just a zombie. And, you know, if you start taking drugs like that and drinking alcohol, I promise you, you don't breathe too good. And, you know, it was just, i I, w- I was just out of it. But I was absolutely insane. And also... I knew about God, I knew about God. I was raised knowing about God. I was going to church all my life. I knew about God. I was raised Southern Baptist. Now a lot of times you come to New Jersey and people don't really know what that is. But if you go down in the south, down I grew up in Texas, and I grew up right where they took the Bible Belt and gave it an extra pull. And I mean, these preachers, I'm telling you, we had revivals in tents, and these preachers are screaming at the top of their lungs, you're born a sinner, you're going to burn in hell. I mean, you know, and their faces are red, and their veins are sticking out, and you know, they're screaming things like, if you've thought it, you've done it. Well, I promise you I was an alcoholic in the making and I thought a lot. So, I mean, it was just, I was so terrified. And I'll tell you what the other thing that they screamed is thou shalt not drink. And I tell you, I came from a family that didn't. I have a theory and my theory is, is that my theory is is that if, alcohol, if my dad had taken a drink of alcohol, he would have been an alcoholic. Now, I never can, I won't be able to prove that because he didn't take a drink of alcohol. My dad died at age 60, rageful, angry, and full of cancer. And I truly believe that had he taken a drink of alcohol, he would have been an alcoholic. My mother and father were two abused children who found each other, who had an exact opposite reaction to their abuse. My dad was angry, and my mother was into herself. And that was their reaction to what had happened to them. And they had me. One child is all they had was me. And all my parents ever wanted for me was everything they didn't have. So they absolutely loved me to pieces. There's a book out called How It Worked. Can't remember the author, and that book is, uh, it's really a book about the life of Clarence Snyder. But in there, the author starts off by saying, there seems to be two characteristics that cause alcoholism, being loved too much or not enough. And if that was the case, I was loved too much. My parents absolutely loved me. My mother was a nurse, she worked. I'm 73 years old. I promise you, when I was a little girl, most mothers did not work. I was a latchkey kid before it was ever ever popular, because my mother worked. And, you know, and I felt different because I either had to go to a neighbor's house or somebody after school because my mother worked and other little girls and boys' mothers didn't work. So, you know, if they, just find an alcoholic and give them any reason to feel different and we'll capitalize on it. You know, just, you know, my mother works. The other was my name. I used to talk about this in early sobriety and I haven't done it in a long time because now I get such a kick out of my name I can't stand it, I just love it. And my husband says, I made you everything you are. Without that name, you would, nobody would ever remember you. But. What happened was, is my, that's my real name. Polly is my real name. It is not a nickname. I am not a Paula or a Pauline. Believe me, if I were, I would be going by that. <laughs> and, I'm, my name is Polly, and I, you know, was I was teased all the time. And I don't know how sensitive your little alcoholic feelings are, but mine were really sensitive. And I just couldn't stand to be, you know, Polly wants a cracker and Polly Wally Doodle all the day, and all this stuff that was, oh my God! I just, you know, I, I just couldn't stand. It was hurt my little feelings too much. And so, I mean, I was always that sensitive, just overreactive person. And I'm gonna just tell you this little story about my life today because of that. About how we always feel different. And you know, they're not gonna like me. And you know, I'm different. I have a deaf grandson. And through the years, I mean, you've all you've heard when, I've, I've been talking since before he was born. And uh, I started talking about when we found out he was deaf and uh, when we all learned to sign, and all the stuff that's gone on with Ryan through the years. Well, Ryan is a sophomore now at Rochester Institute of Technology. And uh, he 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 is with the deaf community, but he is in the regulars college, not in the deaf part of the college, because his parents mainstreamed him. And he went to a regular public school with an interpreter. Now, just let me give you this example. I don't know how you would feel, but this is my Ryan, and he's my hero, because he's done things that I don't think I could ever do. Ryan was going to Evanston High School in Evanston, Illinois. It's a high school of 4,400 students, and Ryan is the only deaf student. And he's in that school with an interpreter, so everybody knows he's deaf. And it's nothing about him feeling different, he is different and he suits up and he shows up every day. And because of what he did and was able to do, because I don't know if he has this disease or not, but he was able to rise above that. But now he is able to be in college like a regular college student, and he's handicapped in no way. And that's what happens when your parents are alcoholics, in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, because when it comes to being relieved of the bondage of self and it's your child, it doesn't cost too much, it doesn't take too much. Whatever it is, we'll do it, whatever it is. And that's the life Ryan's got to know because he has sober parents, and how important it is with all the people who are here that are sober parents. Uh, I'm not one of the alcoholics that uh, that had a lot of affairs and was went to jail and all of that stuff. That's not the kind of alcoholic I am. In fact, I ended up having all my affairs sober in the rooms of alcoholics. And alcoholics. So, I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't do it the other way. And I always, I, you know, you come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I love it because my son's sober in AA and he says, you know, it's embarrassing if you if you get up at a podium to speak and you've never been to jail and you've never been to treatment and, you know, that, that's just embarrassing if you're an alcoholic. And now I have been, you know, I have been to treatment lots of times. but. I've not done any of those things. I, I didn't do any of that when I was drinking. I used to say, "I want a story. I want to have a story." And Karen's sponsor Michael. I, I love Michael's story. I mean, she had an affair with a one-legged preacher. You know, that's 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 the kind of stuff. You know, you know, get it on. That kind of stuff. I want to be doing. You know, I don't want this little wimpy story. of, You know, a passing out on the sofa and all of that. But my story is that I was a military wife with a husband who was gone all the time, gone for years at a time, and I had two little boys. And I absolutely had no training, no, I wasn't equipped, I, didn't have to, I knew nothing about Parenting 101. And I had these two little boys. And by the time my youngest son was two and my oldest son was four was when I began to be taking pills. And I have been diagnosed bipolar, uh, chronic depression. I mean, you name it. I've had, I've had a jillion kind of diagnoses with all these tranquilizers and barbiturates to fix me so I can not bother anybody. And this is what happened. And what happened was, is I was unable to parent my children. And what happened is a result of that is I am also full of rage. I have these absolute fits of rage, where, I mean, just blind rages. And I remember when my dad had those, and I would just get so, I, I just couldn't believe, and I was so disgusted with him. And I was even more disgusted with my mother because she put up with it. And what happened was, is I became just like him. The only difference is my daddy wasn't grabbing my he- a, head, a handful of my hair and shaking my head and maybe throwing me against the wall and telling me, get out of my face, you know, you're driving me crazy and saying things to my youngest son who was, you know, he was just, he was an active boy saying things like, if you'd have been first, you'd have been last and just putting these kids down and screaming at them and abusing them, abusing them spiritually, physically, mentally, taking away the peace they had. And then get sober and know I did that. And know that's what I did. And go and say, I'm so sorry. I don't know what, get, I don't know what comes over me. I don't know what makes me do that. I just don't understand and I can't even live with myself. It is so horrible. And I know that there is no way that this God that I grew up with is gonna have anything to do with somebody like me. Because I grew up in that church and they told me thou shalt not drink. You know, that was the thing. It was You are a sinner if you drink. And here I drank and I took these pills and I abused my children. And that's a kind of alcoholic. I'd, I'd love to have a funny story. I'd love to have a really funny story. But I don't have a funny story. I have a story, I'm an alcoholic mom. And I know there's other alcoholic moms in here. And what happens when you're an alcoholic mom is you do things to your children that you can't hardly bear that you did. And that's what happened to me. And I just, you know, when it came time, I mean, I ended, up, uh, I ended up going to treatment. I tried to take my life two times. And all I did was get you know more psychiatric treatment and more pills. That's all that they, you know, that was the treatment. That's what it was. It seemed like, you know, I had a Valium deficiency or something. I just, you know, I just had more pills. And, the And I just knew that God there was no way I mean I just knew I was going to burn in hell. I was so hopeless. I just knew that all that what was happening to me was I was going to burn in hell, and that was that I was going to die and that was what was going to happen, and I didn't know what was going to happen to my little boys I, I just you know it was I was hopeless I was an alcoholic of the hopeless variety and that's what the book of alcoholics anonymous talks about is that we're hopeless and that was the feeling that i had is being hopeless and i ended up being i ended up going into a treatment center i had a uh, I had a a car wreck and i got on my i got picked up, well I called the police and told him my car was stolen, and here comes the police with my husband, and I go to this, and I'm, I'm taken to the Irving police station in, in Irving, Texas, and uh, what I ended up doing after that, I didn't go to jail, the policeman just looked at my husband with so much disgust and said, just take her home and sober her up, and on the way home he said, there's a treatment center, it's not far from our house, and I entered this treatment center. Now. I entered that treatment center in January of 1977. And I want you to know, when I entered that treatment center, I did not even know an alcoholic. I didn't know an alcoholic. I'd never been around an alcoholic. And I can tell you today, with all the people that we were in the Air Force with, none of them are in AA, and none of them need to be in AA. I, don't, I never knew anybody who was an AA. My parents never drank, and my family, it was thou shalt not drink. My grandfather drank. He was the only person who drank, but he never drank like I drank. So I don't know if he was an alcoholic or not. I mean, I've heard an AA shake an alcoholic's family tree and an alcoholic will fall out, you know. Okay, maybe so. I know there has to be a genetic component because I seem to produce alcoholics. So I'm, you know, I feel like there probably is a, you know, a, uh, a gene in there somewhere. So, but anyway, I didn't even know an alcoholic. And I'm telling you, I went into this treatment center and it was a county detox. And I'm telling you, some of these people in there, most of those people in there, were really low bottom drunks. I mean, they had lived on the streets, they had been homeless. I mean, all of that, like you, Joe. They were, that's who they were. (laughs) and, And I'm sure if I hadn't had a husband, I'd been that way too, but. I did, so that didn't happen to me. And I, I loved the stories. I loved sitting up all night. Any of you in treatment, and you know, you sit up all night and listen to all those war stories? Well oh I haven't even heard them before. And I came into treatment, I didn't even say the F word. Now I'm telling you, I'm really good at it now, but I didn't say it <laughs> I mean, none of that stuff. I mean, it was just so naive. So you don't, I mean, I was a real, I was an alcoholic a real alcoholic as described in the doctor's opinion and when i went out in public to drink i'm telling you i did not i did not drink you know and have a whole bunch of drinks because it was not it was not acceptable for me to be drunk and disorderly. That's not what you can do if you're an officer's wife. So I don't know if any of you've had to do controlled drinking while you're out. It's just so much fun. And you know, the minute you get in the door, you just run to the liquor cabinet, blah blah blah, 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 Because you just can't stand it. It's just, it's torment. And so I didn't really know anything about, I mean, I'd seen days of wine and roses and I'll cry tomorrow, but I didn't know anything about alcoholism. And I come into the rooms of alcoholics, and I get into treatment. And what they do is they begin to take us to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I love what Dr. Thibault says. And Dr. Thibault says that there's two characteristics found in every alcoholic, grandiosity, and defiant individuality. And I leave that treatment center after seven days, and. Uh, of course, I had a Jitter house romance, you know, where sick falls in love with sick, and you walk up into happy destiny. And we walked off into happy destiny for 58 days. But what happened was, is I told myself, people like me don't become alcoholic. I'm not like those people. I love what Clancy says. You know, we always can make my case is different. My case is different. I didn't do what they're doing. You know, I didn't go to the bottom. Well, maybe they were better off. Maybe they left their children instead of staying there abusing them. You know, whatever. But I just, I just couldn't see myself. You know, it's, I wouldn't like them. That's not who I was. I mean, I had a house and I had two cars. And I mean, it was just all. I mean, I didn't even get it. I just didn't hear. And I was being taken to meetings. I just didn't hear. And what happened was is that I ended up being 12-stepped, and I was brought back into that treatment center. I'd been beat up and a numerous and sundry other things. And I'd reached that place where that's pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And I knew I couldn't stay sober. I knew I couldn't live with myself. I couldn't live what I'd done with my kids. I couldn't live with what I'd done to my parents. My dad was in the hospital in Abilene, Texas, and he was there because he had cancer. And, I mean, it was just, I I just couldn't live. My life, I could not do my life. I didn't know about a power. I knew that, I knew there was God. I knew there was a God. I absolutely knew there was a God. But I knew that that God was not going to take care of me because I was going to burn in hell for what I had done. I was that hopeless. And so I left that treatment center. I got a bottle of scotch, and I got a bottle of Valium, and I checked into a motel. And a power greater than myself spoke to a woman that I work with And she said that day that something came over her and she drove around until she found my car parked outside this motel. And I hadn't, the door didn't latch, it just closed. And she pushed that door open and she found me laying there. And on April the 8th of 1977, I was pronounced dead on arrival in a hospital in Bedford, Texas. I am absolutely the product of divine intervention. There's no reason, as many of us sit here, there's no reason that that we should be alive for the things we do. I was pronounced dead on arrival at that hospital. And I stand here tonight with the gift of grace, with the absolute gift of grace. And I ended up with, my husband was able to obtain a court order from a Fort Worth judge, and I was court committed to treatment. I entered this treatment center in Dallas, Texas. And they began to talk to me about God. And Rose, I love what you read. I absolutely love what you read. Because I truly believe that 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 down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. I knew that there was a God. I just didn't believe that he would love me. And I was definitely insane. I'd been told I was insane. I'd been told I was mentally ill. So I knew that I was insane. And people who try to commit suicide are insane. And all of that I knew. And I knew that I i knew that I was crazy. But what happened was, is the hopelessness of not believing that God would help me because I was such a sinner. And I can remember my mother as as I was growing up, and she'd say, we live in a God-fearing home. And, you know, that's not the kind of home I live in today. I live in a God-loving home. And I believe also the gift of God is that everybody, when we come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, we get exactly what we need. And what happened is, as I went into that treatment center, and the man who had 12-stepped me had been the director of that detox center. And he had 12-stepped me out of that motel in Euless, Texas. And uh, what happened is, is I, from that treatment center, I began to call him. And, uh, and I, I, the treatment center says that, you know, you have to get a sponsor. And I said, will you be my sponsor? And, you know, they were saying men should have men and women should have women. But whatever happened, I just believe that God worked it all out. Because Frank Fitzpatrick and another man would come into my life who was his sponsor later on by the name of Frank Honeycutt, who would be the finest man I ever met. But Frank Fitzpatrick had been, he was an only child. He was a monsignor priest and he was a captain in the Navy. And what had happened is, is he was just perfect for me. Because I don't know if you know anything about the Baptist and the Catholic in the South, but the Baptists and the Catholics don't like each other in the South. And especially in Port Arthur, Texas, they didn't like, you know, they, were, they didn't like each other. It was like kind of the Catholics and the Protestants over in Ireland. But that's, you know, and I can even remember being in that Baptist church. And John Kennedy was running for president, and I was going to get to vote. And that preacher was saying, "You cannot vote for John Kennedy; the Pope will take over." And I mean, that was the kind of stuff that you know that you heard back then. So I mean, this was, and here, here I am with this man, and I just truly knew what was wrong with me was the Baptist Church. I'm an only child and everybody, you know, only children are spoiled and all that, and again, that teasing that I don't like. And the US Air Force. I knew that those were the three things that were causing me to be who and what I was. And Frank was those things. And Frank was sober. And what he began to tell me was something that would save my life, and I stayed in treatment long enough to truly, six weeks, to truly catch the disease of alcoholism and to catch the gift of desperation and to want to live, the gift of wanting to live, the gift of desperation. Had a friend in uh, our meeting last Thursday night and he said, I am so grateful for the gift of desperation and I'm so grateful that I continue to have the desperation. And that I continue to have the gift of desperation. Because what happens is, as I believe at 36 years of sobriety, because of that gift of desperation, that I have a disease that is progressive. And at 36 years of sobriety, I don't go to less meetings, I go to more meetings. I don't sponsor less people, I sponsor more people. I don't do less service, I do more service, because if the book is right, and I believe it to be the absolute truth for me, is that big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have a progressive illness. That means I'm more alcoholic today than I was 36 years ago. I need it more today, not less. I need it more. So I'm grateful for the desperation that I still have. The desperation to go out there and feel like I can't possibly answer that phone one more time. I can't possibly work with another person. I can't possibly do that. But I'm so grateful for the, des- for the gift of desperation that when a friend calls me and asks me, would you work with these two people? I mean, what else do you say? If you have the gift of desperation, you say yes. Because what happens is I believe that everything's in perfect order and that if I'm asked to do it, I must be, I need to do it. And that's the gift that I continue to keep having. And that's that power that came to me. But how it was handed to me on a silver platter was from a man who was a Catholic priest who had left the priesthood and married an Asian woman, who kept telling me, I just kept saying, God's not going to do it for me, Frank. I'm just, you know, look what I did. Look what I've done to my sons. Look at my dad's in the hospital and look at me. I'm getting, you know, I'm I'm committing suicide. I'm getting court committed to treatment, this is what I'm doing to my parents. God's not, gonna, God's not gonna help me. God's not gonna, I mean, he's not gonna, he doesn't want me. And Frank used to just sit there and say, Polly, just believe that I believe. Just believe that I believe. And I'm so grateful for that. And I love to read our history. And thank you so much, John beautiful job on the history. Thank you so much. But I love to read our history because what happened when they came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, so many people just felt like there was no way. They were so undeserving. I was so undeserving of God's love. I just didn't get it. You know, I'd heard it. I was raised Christian. I knew, you know, that God's going to take care of you and all this. But then on the other hand, I was hearing I was going to burn in hell and I was a sinner and all of this stuff. And I just, you know, it it was just too mixed up in my mind. And I get to read the history. And one of the things that I thought was really beautiful is Frank told me when I got sober, he says, read AA Comes of Age. He says, you'll love it and it'll talk about the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, and what happened when they were forming it. The people who didn't believe in God, they would say, you know, we're a group of drunks, and that's what, you know, and this group of drunks is bigger than me. And Frank would say, just, you know, just believe that it's a group of drunks, and if God's getting all them sober, he'll get you sober. And by God's grace, I stayed around and I took that direction. By God's grace, I showed up, and, ca- and I went to meetings, and I went to meetings, and I had the gift of desperation to do things that I didn't believe would work, but I followed that direction. And then, you know, when you, look in the, when you look in the chapter to the agnostic, it talks about lack of power. That was my dilemma, lack of power. And the thing about it is, it was just my lack of power was I didn't believe that God would love me because I was such a sinner. That's what I had heard. Now, let me tell you what, you know, some time in sobriety will do. I used before my mom died, I'd go to Texas and I'd visit her. I always went to church with her. Always went to church with her. And I never heard those things in that church. I don't know if they don't say it anymore but I didn't hear it. I go to church today, I don't hear that. I don't hear it like that. Now, it may be still going on, but I, you know, I haven't heard it anymore. Now, did it happen? I don't know. You know, Clancy talks about a disease of perception. I have a disease of perception. My perception of reality is distorted. I don't know. I can't differentiate the truth from the false. I don't know what's true and I don't know what's false. All I know is, is that I come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and you tell me that I better find a God of my understanding or I'm not gonna stay sober. And I love Bill's story. When he says, Abby looked at him and he said, you know, Bill, just just find a God of your understanding. It doesn't matter. And he said it just melted. You know, it just melted the ice. Just find a God of your understanding. And today, the, my, the God of my understanding is so different than the God I had when I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I absolutely know that God loves me to pieces. And what has also happened is he's put a woman in my life, and uh, she's been my sponsor for 31 years. And I've watched Dottie walk through so much adversity in her life. And she's just had some very, very radical cancer surgery. And I call her up. And I know know she's in pain. And I know a lot of things is going on. You know what she says to me? Don't worry, precious. She calls me precious. Don't worry, precious. God is on his throne. And I'm going to be fine. It's going to be fine. However it goes, God's on his throne. And so what happens is I get to continue to come to believe. And the longer I stay in these rooms, and the longer I do the things that I'm told to do in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I come to believe more and more in a power greater than myself that has restored me to sanity. And today, I mean, I still think I'm crazy but today i 'm not that kind of crazy and that's you know that 's the blessing and uh, do I still have depression? Oh yeah, I still have depression and One of the things that i 've come to believe is uh have come to believe that it's you know I had the privilege of knowing Dr. Paul, and Dr. Paul wrote that uh, the what used to be page 449, page 417, the acceptance, and there are absolutely no negatives in God's world. I believe there's no negatives in God's world. I believe that everything that happens has a positive result. And today, I don't even believe me having depression is a negative because if I didn't have the depression I have, I wouldn't do the things I do because I know that if I stop, and if I don't do the things I do, and if I get in my head and think about me, I'm gonna go down and I'm gonna spiral down. And what happens for me is when I feel that that dark cloud come over me, what I do is I, I get up and I call another alcoholic. And I'm one of these alcoholics, I tell you, I've never gotten too sober to call somebody I sponsor. I don't have to, you don't have to call me. You know what, it's my life that's being saved because I have the privilege of being able to sponsor somebody. The privilege of being able to work with another alcoholic. And I often, I don't know what I do for them. I have no idea what I do for them. All I know is, is that they save my life. Because if I didn't have them to talk to, then I'd think about me. And as my AA sponsor says, Polly, it's not that you think well of yourself. It's just that you think only of yourself. (laughs) So what I need to do is I need to do whatever I can to separate me from my ego. Because what'll happen is, my ego's not gonna ever tell me anything good. Because you see, I'm never gonna measure up. I'm never gonna be good enough. It's never gonna be good enough for me. Today I get the opportunity to come to believe in a power greater than I, than myself. I get to go to a lot of meetings. I get to learn about a higher power. And I love what you were talking about, personal, personal religion. We get to have a personal relationship with our higher power in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I love about the chapter to the agnostic is I believe that that chapter makes God approachable. It makes God approachable to a person like me. And sometimes I don't know what's worse. I don't know if what's worse, for somebody to come into Alcoholics Anonymous and say they don't believe in God and that they're an atheist, or come from a background that I came from and have to unlearn all that. And I have to realize that I couldn't differentiate the truth from the false. And that what was being said to me was not the truth. That the truth was that no matter what, that God loves me. And it doesn't and no matter what, God forgives me. No matter what. And I love the beautiful people that I've had the opportunity to have in my life. And I I got to know Chuck Chamberlain. I lived in Southern California and I got to know him a few years before he died. And one of the things that Chuck used to say, and he says it in a new pair of glasses, he says, everybody's doing the best they can. If they knew better, they'd do better. And I love the way Sandy says it. Sandy says that everybody's doing the best they can with the enlightenment that they have. And what I know is, is if I just stay here and I keep doing these steps, and I keep doing the things that you dictate in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I keep working with others, and I keep being of service. If I continue to do these things, then I will come to believe more and more. I will come to believe in a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity. Because today, I have solutions, I have tools that I can work with. I have tools that will help me with the things that used to say that I was insane. I've got tools to go and make amends to my sons. I have tools to make amends to my dad. And I'm not on the amends steps, but one of the things I'd just like to push in here, just so, you know, like a soapbox thing, my dad died when I was a year sober. Don't wait. If you're new, don't wait. You may not have the opportunity. Thank God, I had a sponsor who pushed me to do the steps, get these steps done, so you can get this, you can make amends and do the things you have to do, get these things done. And for that, I am truly grateful. And what has happened for me is I have the privilege today of taking women through the steps and taking women through the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. A lot of times somebody will come up to me, especially if I've done a book study or something, and they'll say, oh, I'd love to do the steps with you. I'd like to have a new experience. And I just got, you know, what I'd like to say to you, if that's how you might feel about somebody you think that does the steps really well, go take somebody else through the steps and you'll get a new experience. Because that's what we do. That's what we do. You want to go through the steps? One of the things that I love is every time I take somebody through the steps, I get to go. And what an absolute privilege it is to watch somebody start through these steps and read that chapter to the agnostic and then go and do that th- go to the third step and be able to watch the lights come on. There is nothing like it. It is the gift we get to have. It's the gift of coming to believe and watching, the just absolutely watching the miracles in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I have a son who's sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And for the first early part of my sobriety, uh, when I first got sober, My youngest son was uh, running and gunning alcohol and drugs and he started using alcohol and drugs when he was 15 years old. My oldest son has uh, some pretty grave uh, psychological problems and he was trying to take his life every time I turned around. I mean, it was just, I mean, I was constantly getting calls from his wife and And then one day, just finally, it was just all I could take. And uh, I just, she called me on the phone, and she said that my son had put a pair of scissors in his stomach. And I thought, I can't do this. I'm five years sober. I am going to drink. I absolutely can't stand it. I can't stand it. I can't stand the pain. I can't watch my children. Both of my sons are dying, and I can't watch it. And um, I went into this meeting that night, and, um, and I, I just, I was just so torn down, and I just dumped on the meeting, you know, my daughter-in-law just called me, and, and my son, you know, is in the hospital, my youngest son is down on Venice Beach, I just can't stand this, I'm just, you know, I'm losing it. And this guy in the back of the room, he, st- he just st- gets up and he says, you need to just turn those boys over. Now, I know none of you have ever done this in an AA meeting, but I flew up out of my seat. And I said, why don't you just tell me how to do that? And he didn't know, but, know. Yeah. But one more time, God worked his magic for me. And what happened was after that meeting a double winner came up to me and she said Polly, I need to take you to an Al-Anon meeting. And these miracles, these are the kind of things that keep happening in my life. It just seems like I just go where I need to go, which was to an AA meeting, and I get someone placed in my way that takes me to an Al-Anon meeting. And those women get around me that night Because I know today I just would not have been sober if that lady had not taken me to that Al-Anon meeting because I was in too much pain. And they just hugged me and they said, Polly, of course you feel the way you feel. You're a mom. But what we're going to do is we're going to teach you how to love your children without it killing you. And that was the... The greatest thing and this is how my life is this is how God works in my life no matter what whatever is going on the teacher always appears and what happens is is the years have gone by and life has been in session and a lot of different things have happened my we've lost Dave's oldest son, we've lost one of our children. We've been through bankruptcy and foreclosure. We did all that in 93 before all the economy happened now. All that stuff back in 93. And you know what, there's life after all of that. And you think, I can't bear the shame or the embarrassment or the pain. But you know what, if we just keep doing what we're doing, And we just keep coming to meetings. We just keep showing up. Because always I know, if I'll just, if I'll just, if my, you know, thank God my feet are trained. My feet are trained, they'll take me to a meeting. And if I just get to that meeting, what happens is, is the answer comes. And you know, we get to live life. Life's in session, that's it. You know, whether you're alcoholic or not, life's in session, it's just in session. But what happens is, as, The time goes, as I can see, all of the things that have happened. You know, I didn't know the economy was gonna fall apart and I was gonna be sponsoring a bunch of people that were gonna lose their houses and their jobs and all of that stuff. I didn't know I was gonna need that experience. But the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says my deep dark past is my greatest asset. God always shows up. When I was six and a half years sober, uh, my young son called me on the phone and he said, Mom, I want what you have. And six and a half years before, he did not want what I had. Six and a half years before, I was supposed to attend a function at his school. And he says, don't you dare show up at my school because I am ashamed of you. And six and a half years later, he says, I want what you have. On January the 3rd of 2014, my son will celebrate 30 years of sobriety. And that is a great event that has come to pass. He's going to celebrate 30, and my AA sponsor is going to celebrate 50. We're going to have a big month in January. It's going to be absolutely fabulous. But what is so precious, and I'm just going to steal something from his talk because I think it just says everything about AA. And he said, I knew that AA worked because I saw the transformation in my mother. Thank you.